You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning, everybody. My name is Tammy Kocha. For those of you that don't know me, um, first and foremost, a little bit about myself. I am, number one, a daughter of God. Um, I am a wife to John. Some of you know him. He's, he's played bass occasionally. He's got the neat little hairdo thing going on. Um, we have a daughter, Becky, that lives in Buffalo and will never move here because she likes the cold. Um, I am also one of the leaders on the Connect team, so anybody that would like to learn a little bit more about that, just see me or one of the people that have on lanyards. Um, I want to say one little thing also about the Connect team and this church in general. My husband and I joined here and started coming almost three years ago or so. We've experienced some major trials in our life like many of you have. We lost my daddy last year. I had a major arm reconstruction last year, and I wanna let you know by us connecting and being part of this community, everybody really stepped up in those hard times for us, and in turn, in the times that we are able to, we've tried to help, and it's just a really good community. It's a family here, so I really encourage you to join, whether it be a community group, serving, just talk to some people. We have men's and women Bible study. There's a lot going on here, so connect and become part of this family. You'll really enjoy it. I'll be reading from Revelation 1, 9 through 20. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. Thanks, Tammy. Let's give her a hand. Well, welcome. My name is Bill Vecchio. I'm one of the pastors and elders here. And um, in case you were wondering, uh, life with five girls under 11 years old in my house is just crazy. 
Uh, so we recently got our uh, foster license renewed, and uh, Elizabeth is with, with us, and she is so sweet. Um, but that just brings a, a level of trying to manage time and uh, affections for all of these little ones and trying to get to them and who wants you to hold you and all that stuff. And uh, I realized throughout this process that uh, a pet peeve has arrived, like arisen in me. Um, <laughs> when things go stale is a pet peeve for me. I don't know about you, uh, but I went to get a bowl of Cheerios. Um, yes, I, ate, I was eating a bowl of Cheerios, all right? I'll, I'll judge you right back, don't worry. Um, and, uh, and I opened up the box that was on the counter, and of course, the ba- they didn't roll down the bag like you're supposed to, like we've taught them to. Um, and uh, so that box was stale, and we had two other boxes in the closet, and so I went to the other box, and it was opened, and the bag was opened, and that one was stale. And then I was like, all right, there's the third box was opened, and the bag was open. and I'm like, come on! Um, and uh, things go stale because we live in, in a fallen world. Thanks, Adam and Eve. Um, geez, I mean, they're so selfish. I mean, they got to experience perfect food. I mean, who's foodie? Who's a foodie here? Anybody? Yeah. And so they got to experience perfect food and perfect weather. Um, they don't have to walk out of their house and walk into a sauna. Um, they, they didn't, uh, you know, for those of you, they didn't have to leave where they live to go up north to another place that is better weather to come back to this place, which is like they didn't have to do that whole shuffle. Uh, they, they just had perfect weather. Uh, they experienced perfect bodies. I mean, I think part of the fall is the consequence of fat. And... Um, sickness, but everything goes, goes stale. I mean, fun stops, laughter ends, relationships can become dry, we could be bored and tired, and that's why our Christmas presents end up in the trash for the Grinch. I mean, life can go stale, and so can life within the church. It can go stale. I mean, idolatry creeps in, laziness, trials, pain, disobedience, inactivity, loss of love for God. And now why? Because this world is not our forever home. Things break down because sin introduced death and decay. Paul Tripp, he is an author and a writer and a pastor. He coins the term identity amnesia and eternity amnesia. And this is something that we face, a sickness that we all face. We forget who we are and who we were created to be. That's why I love how Tammy introduced herself. I am a child of God, a child of the king, but we forget that. We forget our identity is in Christ. And we forget that this world is not our home. Like a virus, we often don't know that we have it, and yet it affects us and everyone around us. This identity amnesia, eternity amnesia. And so last week, we had uh, Dave Harvey here, um, who is uh, the director of GCC, one of our, it's the network that we are a part of, and he set us up, and he took, helped us look at the finish line of where we're going in this series. So he went to Revelation 5, and he talked about how in this world, we're going to experience death and decay, but Jesus is alive, and he brings life. 
And so because Jesus is the lamb that is worthy to overcome death and bring a definitive stop to decay, we get to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so he set us up with that. And so now for the next eight weeks, we are going to go through Revelations 1 through 3, looking at God's letter to the church. And it's been interesting because as we've been exploring opening up the Bible and opening up to Revelation, we've had a lot of feedback because we've talked about going into Revelation and, and people have come up to me and said, we've actually never been a part of a church that has opened up and, and taught from the book of Revelation. Which surprises me because the book of Revelation is so awesome because we see a picture of Jesus in the book of Revelation. We see what Jesus has for his people. And I know that there's a lot of scary stuff in the book of Revelation, and I know that there's stuff that doesn't make sense, and some of that we're not going to be able to get to. Some of the symbolism and some of those things we're not going to be able to touch on. But what we can do is we can, we can dive in and we can look and focus on our relationship with God and see what it's like to fight in the battle with sin in the world around us. There is something called spiritual warfare that is going on around us. Even though we may not visually see it, we know that, that it's happening. And so we get to look at what the Bible says about our relationship with God and how we fight against sin. And so here's the context. We're going to open up to Revelation 1, and that's where we are right now. And, and this letter is written by the Apostle John. This is the beloved disciple. This would be the one that was leaning up against Jesus at the Last Supper. John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And after Jesus rose from the dead, John turned into this like even evangelistic beast. I mean, he just goes and starts spreading the good news of the gospel with everyone he comes in contact with. And the gospel, the good news that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a, a, a horrific death on a cross, was buried for three days, and then rose from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave. That gospel, that the Messiah has come to restore relationship between us and God, that gospel, John starts going out to everyone, every man, every woman, every child, and starts sharing this good news, and people start, start placing their faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And the church begins to spread like wildfire. So much so that, th that the emperor of the time, the Roman emperor, wanted to kill John. And they attempted to kill John. In fact, the theologian Tertullian tried to plunge John into boiling oil. Anybody ever have, I mean, obviously when you're cooking, maybe sometimes, that's like a finger. Like, and it didn't kill him. And they couldn't kill him. And so what do they do? They exile him to this island of Patmos. Now, I've never been exiled, but I have been on some missions trips before. Has anybody gone on a mission trip out of this country? Yeah, and so, so I've been to a bunch of different places, but, but often when we go, especially to third world countries, you tend to be in this environment where there's not a lot of technology, not a lot of power. Uh, you don't really have phone access and internet access and TV access. 
And honestly, it's in those moments where I personally have felt in my life some of the most intimate moments with God. When all of the noise of the world that I've kind of created for myself um, has, has uh, just distracted me from pursuing the Lord, it's in those moments of, of what we could think of as exile that we begin to experience God in a fresh and a new way. I mean, that's why scripture talks about we need to go and spend time in solitude with God. We need to go and spend time with him undistracted. And, and so John is on this island exiled, and he begins to pursue Jesus. He's not trying to create this volleyball-type friend named Wilson. He is pursuing Jesus. And Jesus begins to reveal things to him in a fresh, new way, and in a way that is so magnificent and so beautiful. And he tells him to write down these things. And somehow, out of that exiled island, this letter gets sent around to the churches that are being established on the name of Jesus. And this is what we get to enter into. Like, this isn't just some random words on a page. Like, this is the beauty of God written down for us to read. And this is the majestic vision of Jesus that, that John sees. Look at verse 12. He turns to see the voice of the one that's speaking to him. And on turning... I saw seven gold lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters." In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Let me pray for us, and we're going to dive in. Jesus, I pray right now that we would have this picture of you in our head, and in our minds, and in our hearts that we are not speaking to something that is abstract, but we are speaking to a person that is real, that is alive. And I pray that you would reveal yourself in a fresh new way to each and every one of us. In your name we pray. Amen. So there's so much that we can dive into in this passage, and I'm not going to be able to unpack it all, but here's where I want to start. Jesus is alive. All right, so, so this is the class participation point of our service. Jesus is alive, and I think we hear that and we think, oh, pastor, you're a couple weeks late. That was Easter. No. Right now, in this very moment, he is alive. He is real, and, and sometimes that picture um, doesn't come across in our hearts and in our minds. Because we can picture him very distant. We can picture him kind of out there somewhere. Like we, we think of we're, we're talking to God that's up there. We live on a round ball in the middle of a universe. We don't even know what's up. But yes, we think he's up there somewhere. But he's not somewhere. He is present. He is near. He is alive. 
And I love the picture of Jesus that um, Daniel Aiken, who is a commentary writer uh, on a Christ-centered exposition of the book of Revelation, and he writes this, and this is going to come up on the screen because I want you to see what we're seeing here. In his clothing, he is our priest. He wears this long robe and a golden sash. This is the atonement and the intercession that we have, that right now he is standing at the throne of God, interceding on his children's behalf. In his clothing, he is our priest. In his wisdom, he is profound. His hair is white like wool, talking about his wisdom and his dignity. In his strength, he is permanent. His feet are fine bronze, solid and stable. In his announcement, he is powerful. His voice is cascading waters, articulating his power and his authority. For his servants, he is protective. He's holding us in his right hand. This right hand is the hand of power and authority and honor. In his judgments, he is perfect. This sword that comes out of his mouth is the word of God, and he, he uses it for judgment and authority, but his judgment is perfect. It's never failing, as we sang. In his appearance, he is praiseworthy. His face is shining, brilliance and holiness and majesty. It is this picture of Jesus that should transform every single aspect and part of how we live. Like when you pray, I want you to really think about this. When you pray, are you picturing Jesus like this? Because media has really messed up our minds and our hearts. And I know that when some of you grew up, we had the felt board Jesus, right? And then as we've grown up, we had these like really terribly produced movies that we saw on TV, and then all of these joke movies came out about this Jesus and who he was, and then these like really good, well-done movies came up, and some of those pictures are going to pop up on the screen. And so these are some of the pictures of Jesus that we conjure up in our hearts and in our minds of, of uh, kind of white pretty boy Jesus. But that's not the Jesus, I mean, that is not what we're seeing here. And in fact, there was even a season of life where we made Jesus into our homeboy. And I don't know if you remember these teacher, these t-shirts, but like people started printing these on t-shirts and they were walking around with these as Jesus is my homeboy, like he's cool, like we're cool. And no, like this is not the picture of Jesus that we should have in our mind. Why? Because, because when my homeboy gets annoying, I ignore him. Like when my homeboy says something I don't like, I get mad at him and I fight my homeboy. Like that's the way we interact with someone who's just our buddy and someone who's just our pal. That is not the picture of Jesus that we see here. That's not the way we are supposed to engage with the creator of all things. He is sitting on a throne. And he is not in his human form where he is weak and feeble. And when he walks, he's tired and he's bleeding and he cuts himself. No, no, no. He is perfected. Nothing can hurt him. He really exists. And we must have the proper view of who he is. And this impacts us. Why? 
Well, because we are unworthy. Look at verse 17. When I saw him. Now, just, I just want to put this into perspective. This is John, his beloved disciple. This is the guy that sat next to him at the Lord's Supper, leaning up against him, hanging out with him. So it's not like he's seeing Jesus and it's just like, you know, for the first time. He knows Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. And when John sees him, he falls down like he's dead. Because he knows how unworthy he is to be in his presence. This is the proper perspective. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. When was the last time you had this posture before Jesus? Have you ever had this posture before Jesus? It doesn't matter who you are or what you have accomplished. Jesus didn't save you because you are awesome. You're unworthy. You're a sinner. And he saved you in spite of all that. Jesus saved you because you're helpless and hopeless without him. And I think often with the success of life and the things of this world and an improper perspective of who Jesus is, we tend to not have this proper perspective and posture when we engage with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Understanding that we are unworthy should not only impact, affect, change how we interact with God, but it also should change how we interact with one another. Realizing that we are all unworthy should cause us to be a little less prideful and a little more humble. But, but often, I think what I hear, um, because I know that the church is filled with broken people, but then people say, well, I don't want to go to church, or I don't want to engage with people from church because they're hypocrites. Yeah. Like, the church is filled with people that have missed the mark. And the way you get into the church is by admitting you missed the mark. Like you have to admit that you don't have it all together and that Jesus did it for you. That's how you become a part of God's family. You don't become a part of God's family by cleaning yourself up and doing all the right things and then walking in and being like, I've got this all together. Now, God, you should love me and everybody should also love me. No, 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 you should walk in and be like, I am broken, you are broken. Hey, let's live together pursuing Jesus who is the one who has fixed our brokenness. That's the way the church should engage with one another. It's, it's like quitting the gym because everybody at the gym is out of shape. But often we quit church because everybody inside the church is broken and unworthy. 
Newsflash. If you came in here this morning, so glad you're here. You're broken. But we're here to worship Jesus, who is worthy, the Lamb who is worthy. And so Jesus is alive. We are unworthy. But notice what Jesus does and says in verse 17. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me. Remember that right hand, what that represents? His power, his authority, his judgment. He lays his right hand on me saying, fear not. Even though we are unworthy, Jesus speaks to his children. We don't worship a silent God. He speaks. And his word creates and transforms. Who doesn't like uncomfortable silences? Anyone? Like when things are like that, awkward, maybe... Maybe you've been on like an awkward date before. You've been on one of those where like things are just silent. Or you're sitting at a restaurant and you see that couple that's having that awkward date. You know, and you just, you just feel it for them. Um, I, praise God I have a bride whom I love. And like we get to have like some really awesome conversations. And it's, it's really always been that way. Like we actually were friends before we, we started dating. And, and so we, we actually have a good relationship like that. But I remember this one particular date I went on in college that we got to Chili's. Um, yeah, it's, it was college. Um, and, and so we were sitting there, and it was like that really awkward, like, like didn't know what to say, didn't know. And so I, I was like freaking out, trying to figure out in my brain what to say. And there were these little sugar packets on the table that had questions on the back. Like the owner of Chili's must have seen this enough times where he's like, I've got to help these people. Um, and so I was like, oh, like, if you were to be an animal, what animal would you be? <laughs> she answered, and I answered. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Ran out of sugar packets. Um, awkward silences are, are, are terrible. But this is not true of Jesus. He doesn't leave us in awkward silences. He doesn't leave us with this unknown. Like we are able to know Jesus because he speaks. And when he speaks, magnificent things happen. He speaks and the mountains were formed and trees and fish and birds and man and woman. He creates out of nothing when he speaks. Like, it is so amazing to think about, like, this moment where, where John is there and he is fallen flat on his face seeing the perfected Messiah. And he reaches down with his powerful right hand and says, fear not. Because he wants us to experience peace and joy and satisfaction in him. And what does this voice say? Look at verse 11. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And so as we journey over the next now seven weeks after this week, 
we're going to be looking at seven letters written to seven churches, kind of on this Roman road. But, but the word, or the number seven in Scripture can often mean uh, more than just the number seven, like we, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Like, it's talking about the perfection of something, the complete completion of something. And so he's really talking about to the church, which is amazing for us in this room because this is applying to us. Like God himself, through Jesus, is speaking to us. And so over the next seven weeks, we get to hear his voice. And he's holding seven stars in verse 7. I'm sorry, in verse 11. And he's referring to verse 20, where it's talking about the angels to the seven churches. And then in every letter that we're going to go into, it's going to say, to the angel of the church in blank. And then he's going to go. And so, so just so that we have an understanding of what we're talking about here, um, we're, we're talking about these messengers, these, these leaders, maybe pastors that, that are going to be reading out this letter to their church. And, and often, and what we would see in, through commentators is that, that um, theologians would say that they were reading all of these letters to all of the churches. These letters were circulating around to the churches and they were reading all of them and the warnings that were given to these other churches. And, and these messengers were referred to as stars. And what do stars do? Stars bring light. That's what a star is. Like we have a star in our solar systems. Anybody know the name of it? The sun, there we go, good. Right, so, so it brings light. And so what these messengers are to do is to read these words to bring light into the midst of their darkness within their church body, their family. And that's what it's supposed to do for us today. So as we read this, as we journey in Revelation, God wants to reveal things. And sometimes the light reveals something that we don't want, we don't like. Cockroaches, dirt, filth, brokenness. But the good news is at the end of all of it, the plan is for us to be restored. We should want the light to penetrate the darkness in our lives. Because that darkness will only breed things that will bring death and destruction and decay and make things stale. But it is the light that will bring life and life to the full. So then in verses 17 through 19, we see why. Why do we listen to his voice? Look at verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Here's the last thing I want us to talk about. Jesus is life, and he gives life. And I want us to have this picture in our mind as we enter into the rest of this book, as we enter into these next couple of chapters, that Jesus is life and gives life. We cannot know life apart from Jesus. It's impossible. Now, the world around us tells us that we can experience life and light outside of God, outside of Scripture. They want us to find fulfillment in all of these things, but all of those things will, are temporary, and all of those things will end up leaving us feeling empty. 
Everything. I don't have to convince you of that. You know that. Everything you've pursued that God says will bring death and destruction, you could look back over the course of your life and say, yes, it has brought heartache and pain and brokenness. And I'm not saying God can't restore those things, and I'm not saying that God will not bring uh, healing in the midst of those things. No, he can. But I'm saying anything apart from God's word and anything apart from what he says will destroy us. And so we have to realize that he is the source of, of life. He is the worthy lamb that has overcome death and brought a definitive stop to decay. And so our response is to listen to his words. Listen to his words. I want to ask you right now, and this is the question that I was asking myself all week. Are you struggling to listen to Jesus? Not, your, not the person next to you, not your kids, you, me. So often I think we can come to church and be listening for other people's sakes. God wants to transform us. When we open up his word, he wants to transform us. Are you struggling to listen to his voice? Why? Why are you struggling to listen to his voice? Is it because you think you know better? Is it because you think his word is outdated? I think that's a, that culturally that's a big thing right now. Is that we think that his word applied to back then. And he doesn't really understand and know what we're going through right now. Like just saying that out of my mouth, can you hear how, how crazy that sounds? Like the God who is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The one that created all things, like he'd be outdated. Like, he, that he would have an expiration date. Like, I, I, I've looked at this back and front. I don't see an expiration date on this. Have you found one? No, but we think we know better. We think it doesn't apply anymore because God doesn't understand our cultural norms. Well, God doesn't know what's politi politically correct or not. Do you think what you want will satisfy you more than what God has for you? Now, these are just the questions I was asking myself this week. And I know they may sound like, like heavy questions, but I think as we journey into the book of Revelation, we have to, to set the stage to understand that, that we're going to see some things, some darkness in our own lives. We're going to see some stuff that we're struggling with and dealing with. So what are you specifically disobeying right now? What are you neglecting? What are you avoiding? And here's what I want us to know. There is a God who loves you. There is a God who left eternity. He left perfection. He left a perfect relationship with his Father and the Spirit to wrap himself in human form for you. For the things that you're struggling with, for the things that you're avoiding, for the things that you're neglecting, for the things that you're disobeying. He was hung on a cross. 
and let his blood be poured out. Because he knew that we couldn't do it alone. And so I don't want us to leave here today with this like huge heavy weight of like now I have to pull up my bootstraps and get to work. Because guess what? Even your best work isn't going to add up. He finished the work that he needed to accomplish to adopt you as his child on the cross. He finished it. He said it is finished. And in those words, we can then come and partake in communion. What is this? This is this at the Last Supper. He's with his disciples. He knew how broken they were. He knew how messed up they were. Judas was in their midst. And he took some bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Why would we do this in remembrance of him? Because he continually wants us to remember that he was broken because we are broken so that he could restore us into the fullness of life in him. And then he took this cup. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So, so this is what this time is now. We, we come forward and we take bread and we dip it in juice and we remember. We remember that we are unworthy but we then also remember that Jesus is life and he gives us life. He atones for our sins. He replaces us so that we can be adopted as his children. And so for some of you, you've maybe never heard that before. And this is the first time that you in your mind have thought, wow, like, I do believe that. I do believe Jesus gave himself. So this may be the first act that you have come to profess faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to take his body and dip it in the cup and partake in this together. For some of you, you've been in church your whole life, but you've forgotten the beauty of what God has done for you. And then for some of us, we know, we trust, we believe, but God still says we need to be reminded of what he has done for us because the gospel is not just a one and done. The gospel transforms us day in and day out. And so we're actually gonna leave these questions on the screen as our response. And before you come up, this could be a time of confession. Confession is actually a beautiful thing that God gives us to say to him the things that we need to confess and then to repent. Repent, that word in scripture, means to turn 180. So we are pursuing our sin, we are pursuing death, we're pursuing decay, and we're turning away from this and going towards him again. He meets us where we are so we don't have to like take this long journey back to him. He is present, he is near, he is here. And so what we do is we confess our sin and then we come and we remember what he has done, that he has finished the work on the cross, that he is the lamb that is worthy to overcome all of our brokenness, all of our shame, all of our guilt. And we're going to have some people that are going to be around the room. They're, they're um, wearing some connect lanyards. And they're going to be positioned kind of around here. And if you want to go and have someone pray for you, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be something big. It could be something what you think is small. Whatever that may be, they're just here to pray over you. They're here so that, that we could be the family that God has called us to be and pray and seek the Lord together and share the Lord's Supper together. This is the beauty of what it means to be the church. So I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm so thankful that we get to partake in communion together. 
So would you pray with me as we come before the Lord here and we listen to his words and remember that Jesus is life and gives life, that Jesus speaks. Father, thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. God, I know, I am sure that there are people here today that are feeling weight right now because there is stuff hidden in the darkness of their lives. In fact, I can guarantee that every single person in this room, including myself, and every person that has come onto this stage, and every person that's wearing a lanyard, has areas of their life that need the light to penetrate. And so God, in this time, I pray we would confess and repent and receive the fullness of your forgiveness. That we don't have to leave here feeling condemned because you say in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But that we would leave here feeling the freedom that you have given us. God, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you or that has not surrendered their life, that has not fallen before you as though dead, knowing that they are unworthy, God, I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak life into their life and you would transform them from the inside out.